It's time for the car doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, 100.3 FM, or maybe you're listening on the app, you told your smart, smart speaker to uh, tune in to AM 950 WROL Radio or com or however you listen, and if you're saying, hmm, I, I, I know what he's not in the studio, well, I'm not in the studio, um, I'm in the... Uh, in the Southwest studio, I suppose. But anyway, we're going to give a program as normal. We'll be taking calls. We'll be talking about some cars that I've driven that I never got to talk about. Uh, we'll be talking about a program that Harbor Freight does that gives money to schools. Uh, we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about some of the news that came up. We'll be talking to Dennis about potentially Massachusetts joining 18 other states to have a hands-free cell phone law. So you'll... Uh, You'll have uh, you'll only be able to use your cell phone if it's on Bluetooth or you have it uh, a wireless earpiece or a wired earpiece or something that allows you to keep the phone out of your hand. So you have two hands on the wheel and uh, your eyes on the road, not staring at your phone, which I see happen every single day when I'm driving back and forth to work. I have to admit, even in Rhode Island, where there's a hands-free law, I look over, especially if I'm stuck in traffic on 95 heading into Providence, I see the people staring at their phones and just not paying attention to the traffic. And in that stop-and-go traffic is where those little minor car crashes happen that you know probably does it's pretty easy to do $500,000 worth of damage to a car today, but it does $500,000 worth of damage. But it, either people don't pull over because they're afraid of some kind of liability. They don't get off the road. They just stop right in the middle of the road and back traffic up. So it's not even the damage that happens. It's the loss of time for people that are trying to get back and forth to work and trying to get things done. And it happens because somebody decides... They're going to do, I can only guess, one of three things. Traffic slows down for whatever reason. They look at their Waze app, their Google app, one of those apps, to see why traffic's slowing down. And then they forget to look in front of them, and they bang into the car in front of them. Or they decide this would be a good opportunity to text work because it's, it's 7:59, and they're one minute. They're, in one minute, they'll be late for work, so they need to text their bosses and say, "Hey, I'm stuck in traffic, and uh, my advice is leave early." And you don't have to do that, uh, but they text someone to say, "Hey, I'm I'm going to be late," or they're looking at email, or they're looking at social media, they're looking at Facebook or Twitter or whatever the case is, because they're like, "Well, I'm just stuck in traffic. I might as well get caught up with." Uh, with all the gossip that's going on in the world. And then they look up and the car in front of them stops. They don't, and they run into it. Now all of a sudden that slowdown becomes much worse. So maybe this will cause some, at least the law abiding people to put their phones away rather than say, well, yeah, there's no law against me having my phone and looking at it. Well, there kind of is. Um, anytime you drive distracted, 
uh, whether it's a uh, a phone or you know if you are if you are I don't know you decided to try the impossible whopper Dennis was it any good no it was not okay well you decided you were going to drive to work and try the impossible whopper on the way to work and all of a sudden it started to drip or fall apart or something and then you're all over the road well you're distracted and when you're distracted you're not driving properly and you can actually get a ticket for that so that's illegal too and dennis should the impossible whopper be illegal i wouldn't say it would be illegal it's just they need to improve the aftertaste a little bit oh oh it's that kind of thing it 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 looks it looks okay it tastes okay and then after you swallow it you're like yeah not quite right yeah this definitely an aftertaste yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's I, 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 I don't like food with aftertaste. I, you know, just, just not always quite what I'm looking for when I'm looking for a good sandwich is something that stays with you afterwards. So, but yeah, so there's you know there's those there's those things coming up. So uh, it looks like kind of in a surprise decision that uh, uh, everybody sort of agreed. So this bill, I guess, might be heading to the governor's office as soon as Monday. And the governor is definitely in favor of it, so there's no reason to think that it won't pass at the governor's office. And they had to do they had to do some, uh, you know, you think it's pretty easy, but there's also a whole issue with racial profiling that goes on, and there's all kinds of things that you don't think about. It seems like it should be that easy. Pass a law that says that put your phone away, but I guess it's more complicated than that. So I don't pretend I don't pretend to know how all that works, but I do know that it's not as easy as you would hope sometimes. So Consumer Reports magazine just came out with uh, some of their picks on used cars, and I just wanted to run through them quickly. Uh, the Kia Soul, uh, they refer to it as a smart bargain. You can buy a Kia Soul from anywhere from 11000 to $16,000 used. It says, why settle for a small, boring car when you can choose something with personality, the spirited soul uh, shines as a used car value, thanks to its low initial costs and steep depreciation. Not good if you bought it new, I suppose. Um, uh, you can upgrade to more comfort and convenience features, formerly, you know, that can be in bigger cars. Um, best reason to get one, uh, the mid-level plus is nicely equipped and comes with a larger two-liter engine, uh, but the uh, top trim levels uh, can be found with... Uh, optional uh, forward collision warning systems. Uh, others to consider, they actually like it better than the Subaru Impreza and the Honda Fit. I happen to be renting one, uh, uh, Kia Soul. Uh, like many things that I do, I decided when I rented a car this week that I would uh, just get the cheapest one they had in, in the subcompact category, a dollar rent-a-car. They didn't have any. So I said, walked over and they said, uh, what else do you have? And they said, well, just get one of the compacts, the Kia Souls available. And uh, got the Kia Soul. And it's a car, it's, 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 at least where I am, it has to be one of the most popular used cars around. It is just, it is just a popular car. They're, they're everywhere down here. And they're everywhere because they're actually a pretty easy car to get in and out of. The uh, seat height is, uh, not not high like an SUV, not low like a sedan. 
It is a little wagon, so you can put the rear seat down and carry a whole bunch of stuff in the back. Uh, with the rear seat up, you can fit four adults in it and pretty comfortably and still room behind the back seat for extra stuff. So Kia Soul is a good choice. They also, in the small SUV category, said uh, take a look at the Chevrolet Equinox. Uh, it's, they called it a tweener. It uh, competes with midsize SUVs and priced like a small one. They like that, they like that vehicle a lot. Uh, also in the under $20,000 category, uh, the Mazda 6. Always thought the Mazda 6 was the best kept secret. Uh, nice nice sedan, nice midsize sedan. You can buy them used from 14 to 17.9, it says here. Out on the highway, you can uh, do as well as 32 miles per gallon. Mid-level touring has desirable features like power driver's seat, blind spot monitors, uh, rear cross-traffic alert. Uh, the next touring technology package has the uh, the forward collision warning. It says others to consider. The Toyota Camry, always a good choice. Subaru Legacy, a better choice in New England because it has all-wheel drive versus the Mazda 6 with front-wheel drive. Uh, the Hyundai Santa Fe Sport, under twenty grand, you can buy a used one, it says here, uh, for fifteen five to nineteen six, depending on what option packages you get in it. Uh, it says stick with the uh, basic engine, the 2.4-liter engine. There are no trims to choose from, but look for a vehicle with the premium equipment package for leather upholstery, upscale amenities, blind spot monitoring, rear cross-traffic alert. The tech package adds uh, niceties such as uh, uh, heated rear seats and a panoramic sunroof. Well, mine isn't any of those. I got the uh, base model with the 2.4-liter base engine, which works out fine. Um, does it have any of the fancy electronics? No. Are there some that I wish it did? But to buy new, I had to go up to the next model, and I wasn't prepared to do that. Um, in the under $27,000 category, it says here that you can buy a used Lexus ES for twenty-three dollars to $25,000. That would be a good value for somebody, a, a luxury midsize sedan. They rate the overall score as 80 points. Uh, they call the ES comfortable, quiet, and efficient, smooth, strong V6. Gives you about 25 miles per gallon. It would be, if you were looking to spend uh, $25,000 in a used car, that would be a good choice. BMW X3. Uh, in the same category, that's BMW's small SUV. I'd worry about reliability in that one just a little bit. Um, just um, a little bit of a concern when you look at reliability in BMWs. Uh, they're they're great cars when they're new, but as they start to age a little bit, uh, you can have some you can have a little bit of problems here and there with them. And finding the right shop to work on them can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge. Dennis, are we ready with Danny Corwin? We are. All right. So with us on the phone is Danny Corwin. He's the executive director of Harbor Freight Tools for Schools program. And Harbor Freight recently gave away over a million dollars in the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools prize for teaching excellence. Danny, good morning and welcome to Boston. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So um, it, it looks like the... Um, Harbor Freight Tools for Schools program gave away a lot of money. In fact, you gave away a lot of money right in our listening area here in New Hampshire, right? We did. We did. The program awards um, exceptional skilled trades teachers more than a million dollars. And one of our second place winners this year was David Lilly of Portsmouth, um, New Hampshire, Portsmouth High School. So we're, we're excited to to 
support and award an exceptional auto teacher and also in the Northeast where you reside. Yeah, and I, our program's automotive, and it's, uh, you know, something we talk about, and I know a lot of the automotive vocational technical school teachers, I'm on some of the vocational boards uh, near where I live, and it's always a struggle for them. Each year they're applying for grants, and, and it just kind of works out tools disappear and break and uh it's just kind of a fact of life when you're running a shop with you know 30 60 90 kids that are coming through it things are going to happen so when you hear about something like this it's it's a big deal and it can help the school an awful lot absolutely and that's exactly why we're doing what we do so i mean we have felt that skilled trades teachers we know they have incredible passion for their students and their craft However, they've been undervalued for decades, um, not only respect, but also resources, as you mentioned. So our purpose is really to shine a light on their brilliance and give them the respect and honor that they deserve. And through, through this effort, um, we're building a community of skilled trades educators, and we really hope to stimulate greater understanding of their exceptional work, greater support, and hopefully investment by others. Um, including public entities, to really um, continue the support for skilled trades education in, in public high schools. Yeah, here out in the Northeast, any skilled trade, and you gave prizes out to pretty much across the trades, but here out in the Northeast, if you're coming out of a vocational school and you're a plumber, an electrician, an auto technician, auto body, uh, 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 metal fab person, HVAC, mm -hmm. they all they all are looking for help right now and those jobs those jobs are going quickly to these young uh, men and women who are coming out of high school and it, it, you're right it really is showing some of the value of these trades and in a, in a lot of cases as opposed to some of my coworkers they're coming they're coming out of school with zero debt and going mm. into a going into a job where they can they can make really good money, and I think uh, with Harbor Freight and the um, the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools uh, Prize for Teaching Excellence, I you know I think it really does continue to showcase how valuable an asset uh, these teachers and the students are to the community we all work and live in. Absolutely. I mean, we, we concur that the, the country is facing a shortage of skilled tradespeople right now, and the problem's only going to get worse. Um, I mean, in fact, one in three skilled trades workers will likely retire by 2028, which means there'll be more than three million jobs available in the skilled trades. And already, um, there are 30 million jobs out there with an average salary of 55000 that don't require a four-year degree. So, um, you know, we see these programs successful in engaging kids in meaningful ways and helping them graduate from high school and also leading them to opportunities in the workforce um, that our country desperately needs. Yeah, absolutely. We're talking with Danny Corwin. He's the executive director of Harbor Freight Tools for Schools. How did this all start out? How what what was the what was kind of the impetus to get uh, the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools program going? So the founder of Harbor Freight Tools is a man named Eric Smith, um, and Eric, um, when he was in high school, he didn't love his classes um, until he took a shop class that really. Um, illustrated to him kind of the talent 
and the motivation that he that he possessed. And he, at the age of 19, he started this company. Um, so he has a soft spot for skilled trades educators because of that experience. And he started this program to really, I mean, it was out of a deep respect for the dignity of these fields and for the intelligence and creativity of people who, who work with their hands. And there are a lot of students currently that have this wonderful talent that's not manifested in their high school experience. And we feel like if there are more of these programs offering students um, these real-world experiences with great teachers, not only are they going to graduate, but they're going to feel really good about themselves, which, which benefits everybody. Yeah, it really does. And, and I found working with, uh, with some of the students in these trades, what is pretty amazing is they seem, in a lot of cases, a little bit more mature than their traditional high school counterparts. And I don't know if that's because they're in between their learning their trade, they're also working in their trade, and they're actually going to work every day sometimes, and, and they're learning that uh, the real world might be a little different, different than the classroom world. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point. I think, you know, we all think back to our high school experience, and there's a lot of distractions for yeah. teenagers now. And, you know, the beauty of working on a trade or a car is that it requires just an immense amount of focus. Um, and students put their phones down, they focus on a task, they learn from their mistakes, and they're typically surrounded by you know, mentors, uh, their teacher, and then if they have an internship or an apprenticeship, other adults that are passionate about what they do, and I think they, they feed off of that and um, gain a lot of self-esteem and skills that not only they can develop a career around, but also that are just beneficial for them to have as, as members of their family and their society. So it's, it's very much a win-win. Yeah, it really, it really does sound like it. And I, I want to go back to two things. First off, that the founder of the company started when he was 19, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 the secondary, and the second thing is, it was a million dollars that you guys gave away this year. Yeah, no, we're we're thrilled to have this opportunity. Um, you know, Eric Smith, who I mentioned. He, uh, you know, the company now has more than a thousand stores across the country, and um, he has a huge heart, and he wants to give back. And this is a field that, to be honest, doesn't have a lot of other support, as you noted. Yep. Um, and there's a lot of, um, you know, it's one of the few issues that the general public really supports. I mean, career and technical education is something that everyone believes in, that they know it has great value. So Eric has has wanted to put um, a lot of money behind it, um, not only to provide resources to these teachers, but also to shine a light on their success and hopefully raise their profile and um, what they're doing in the classroom so others take note, not only in their own school building, but at the school district level, the city level, the state level, um, and even the federal government. So as you, as you said, um, we were honored to, to give away more than a million dollars in grants to 19 teachers um, uh, this past this past week, 
and look forward to doing so on an annual basis. Yeah, this is this is fabulous. And the uh, the teacher up in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, the fifty thousand dollars. How how does that how does that get spent? Is it is it a fifty thousand dollar credit with Harbor Freight? How's it how's it work? Um, so the the teacher, the winning teacher, David Lilly, um, this he receives thirty five thousand dollars for his program okay. for the auto class that he runs. And then fifteen thousand is actually for him. Um, we know how much resources, time, sweat, tears teachers pour into their craft, and we we really wanted to reward them. And he can use that however he chooses to. Um, and we know he he operates a live shop serving customers throughout the community, even even um, servicing police cars. Uh, so in order to keep kind of his technology and tools up up to speed, you know, he will um, use that money as, as he thinks uh, is needed in his shop. No, that's fabulous because that's one of the things that we we sometimes hear about is some of these great programs are, are great, but it recognizes the school, but doesn't always recognize the teacher. And you're absolutely right. You talk to any teacher. I don't, I don't care if it's uh, a vocational tech teacher or an English teacher. They're always taking money out of their pocket to mm-hmm. do things for their school, do things for the class, do things for sometimes some of the kids who come from, uh, you know, s- situations that are that are not very desirable sometimes, and to try to really show them that there's, there is a future for them and to encourage them to continue and do as good as they can. And I think for Harbor Freight to do this and, you know, I'm, you know, now now I'm starting to feel a little guilty when I use my 20% off coupon when I go into Harbor Freight. I don't know. Uh, you know, I kind of want the extra money to go to some of the schools. Right. Well, that's, I mean, I'm glad you raised that. So the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools program is actually a program of, of the Smith Foundation. Um, so, you know, this is, it's separate from the company. Okay. And it's really focused on, um focused on advancing skilled trades education in public high schools across the country. So as I mentioned, um, Eric, uh, really, this is, this is an endeavor from his heart. Um, and, you know, Harbor Freight is his baby, so it has the name on it, but it's, it's a program from his foundation and, and not directly connected to the company. Okay, I'm going to keep using my 20% off coupon then. There you go. There we go. go. (laughs) Hey, Danny, I want to thank you for taking some time out of your Saturday morning. Before I let you go, if, you know, as this program is going to continue, how can people find out more information about it? Is there a website they can go to? Is there a place where teachers can go that maybe you're not familiar with it? How how can they learn more about the um, Harbor Freight uh, Tools for Schools program and the Harbor Freight uh, Tools for Schools Prize for Teaching Excellence Award? So um, they can go to our website. uh, If they spell out harborfreighttoolsforschools.org they can find our um, you know more about our, our program and the prize itself and they can also follow us on social media so there are links on the website to our Facebook page and our Twitter page and our Instagram page and on all of those vehicles right now you can see pictures and stories of our winning teachers um, from this year fabulous Hey, Danny, thanks a lot, and thanks for joining us here, here in Boston, and best of luck with, with the rest of the program, and I hope, it, I hope it goes as well as it did this year. It was a pleasure. Really, thank, thanks for the opportunity. Okay, take care.
And why don't we take a break, pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, FM 100.3. Or maybe you're listening on the app, WROLradio.com is our website. Or you can go to any one of the app stores and download the WROL app. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us about your car and your car problems. Even though I'm not in the studio, you can still give us a call at 617-770-3030 and let us know what's on your mind about uh, cars or maybe some interesting cars you've seen or um, hopefully the tickets worked out well for the people that went to the Connecticut Auto Show or are heading to the Connecticut Auto Show. Uh, the Connecticut Auto Show, I think, is running through this weekend and uh, there was uh five or so people from last week that I uh, sent the names down to our friends that run the show and they should be at the will call window so people can go out. It's a small show, but it's at a casino. So maybe while you're there, you'll win enough money to buy a car. So you can go check it out and see, see what it's all about. The Boston auto show coming up, uh, that comes up after the first of the year. And that is, uh, uh, pretty, I would consider it a good solid mid-sized car show. And we will be, uh, you know, we will be giving tickets away for that. The same people who run the Connecticut show run the Boston show. And that's uh, Martin Luther King weekend, kind of, that's a good way to sort of remember where it is, and uh, in the calendar at least. And I think I'll be asked to kind of go to uh, the, speaking of uh, kids and automotive programs, uh, the Mass State Auto Dealers Association runs a skills competition and they do it at the auto show. And last year, the people that ran it, uh, Howie Ferris, formerly of um, Mass Bay Community College, and uh, a few other people uh, asked if I could do my radio show from there last year. And I may be doing that again this year. So we'll see if they see if they want me back. I guess is the the way to the way to describe it. So we'll see what's we'll see what's going on with that. And again, I want to thank uh, Danny Corwin and the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools program. A pretty pretty amazing program, especially where like the school up in New Hampshire, where the school gets thirty five thousand dollars, the teacher gets fifteen thousand dollars for for doing a good job. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, do you have to do that? Um, so I was looking through the press release and the different schools they listed. Not just, it's not just automotive. It's, uh, uh, there's a school in Illinois uh, that did manufacturing. There's a school out in Woodland, California that did uh, agriculture. Uh, another school did masonry and welding. A school out in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania for construction. Uh, a school in uh, the welding uh, program it's a school in Oregon, and the school re- receives the entire prize winning uh, a school out in Fayetteville, North Carolina, for their integrated systems technology. I'm not even sure what that is. Uh, school receives the entire prize winning because they must have, they must have some kind of uh, uh, program where the teachers can't accept money for things like this. Um, 
And there's a there's another school in uh, Nashville that did uh, for aviation maintenance. And the last school, product innovation and architecture, and that is in California. And that school again received the entire amount. So uh, pretty good. And the uh, the high schools that remained 32 semifinalists. Uh, those actually receive a $1,000 Harbor Freight gift card to support their trades program. So pretty good stuff, and I hope they continue it next year. 617-770-3030 is our number, 617-770-3030. Let's go over to the phones and say good morning. Good morning. Hi, good morning, uh, John. Good morning. Good morning. How, are How are you? you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Good, good. Uh, sounds very clear. Uh, Today. The, um, well, I have a question. Of, uh, you should, you should, you should see what's making this work. Oh, uh, <laughs> a couple of uh, strings and uh, open boxes, or Exa- exactly, it's all of that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, that's great. The uh, um, other question about uh, uh, it smells like an exhaust smell in my car. I had the uh, oil change in my car about about a week ago. Uh-huh. And uh, right after that, I um, I had the I could smell a very faint smell, but mm-hmm. smell nonetheless when the windows are closed of, of exhaust. And uh, so I brought it back to the dealership. I thought, well, maybe when they change the oil, either some spilled, and maybe I'm smelling the burnt oil, or mm-hmm. or there's a leak in the exhaust. They checked it out. They said there's absolutely nothing wrong, but I still smell it, and I have no idea what it might be. I still say they spilled some oil, yeah. and it's there somewhere, and it's going to be there till it burns off. And it takes it takes you know a couple hours of engine running for it to burn off, and sometimes even longer than that. Uh, but I, you know, I I don't think you suddenly developed an exhaust leak. And honestly, it's exhaust doesn't really smell like a whole lot of anything these days. So I think you're actually smelling some oil burning off, and maybe when they were putting oil into the car, they spilled some on the on the top of the engine and it's still kind of dripping down onto the hot manifold and, uh, you know, they probably did a quick look underneath to make sure that they tightened the oil filter and the drain plug and probably didn't do much more than that. I would just, because, kind of keep a, keep a kind of eye on the oil level just to make sure that there isn't something that's actually leaking, but I'm kind of willing to bet it's going to burn off in you know, another week or so. That would be my guess. Yeah, so the smell is not the exhaust. I mean, I... I, 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 don't, I yeah, I don't... Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the easiest way to check for something like that is, you know, go get a, go get an old towel with the engine running and, you know, cover the tailpipe over and, you know, and if you, if you feel pressure up against the towel, there's no exhaust leak. And, and again, even exhaust, you know, exhaust doesn't... You, you know, you can get right, you put your nose right next to the tailpipe of the car, and there's not a lot of smell, which oh, is why okay. carbon, yeah. Uh, which is, yeah, which is yeah. why carbon monoxide comes to get you so easy. So I don't, I think, I think coincidence wise, they spilled yeah. some oil. They spilled some oil. I have a real sensitive nose. I mean, I smell yeah. everything, and maybe that's the, no, I, um, I leave the vent of the inside the uh, the cabin open. I don't, I don't close it. I'm not sure which is, which is better. Uh, to to keep the air from coming in, or uh, or not, I just have fresh air. I'm yeah, on roof I, I flip the vent open, so at least the air is moving through yeah. somewhere. Yeah, um, I think in in the short term, uh, maybe set the climate control and recirculate. Except when you use the defroster, 
yeah. that will because he the, the the air does come from sort of if you you know kind of in front of the windshield wipers if you will so um so it it kind of takes in the air there and if there is something burning off the engine it's going to tend to pick it up a little bit more but i'm i'm still willing to bet that somebody got a little sloppy when they were doing the oil yeah. change and, and spilled some oil as i said i looked and i opened the uh, open the, the hood and looked at the engine to look yeah. clean uh yeah. but it could be underneath you know and it, uh, it, it, it doesn't uh, you know it it takes a you know, if you if you spilled a tablespoon of oil on top of a hot engine, it's going to stink for a week. Oh, okay. It doesn't. Yeah, yeah it doesn't take much. Ah, well, okay. As long as it's it's not it's not costing me anything, just to, just time, and yeah, and that's fine with me. I was really glad that they said there's nothing wrong with the car. Well, yeah, I mean, something else again, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the exhaust system exhaust systems on today's cars last. You know, at least ten years, so it'd be odd that you know there was an exhaust issue. So, I, yeah, that's why that's why I think that's why I think it's uh, 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 you know, nothing more than somebody was a little bit sloppy. That's why Midas mufflers aren't around it. Well, not probably in great. Well, numbers. yeah, I mean, there, there, there's you're you're absolutely right because I, I work with a guy who actually owned uh, owned four Midas muffler shops, and he said what happened was when. Essentially, Midas was owned by a muffler company, and uh, what happened once once people stopped buying mufflers the way they used to, uh, the Midas franchises, you know, they gave the they gave the owners the option to just buy the franchise out, and then they became general repair sh- repair shops, and they they really couldn't they couldn't really compete because everybody still thought of them as a muffler store. So this guy ended up he he owned three franchises. And one that he actually owned the real estate, he ended up selling everything and uh, came to work for AAA. And I know there's, uh, you know, most of all the old Midas shops now have something else in them. Uh, there's very few actual ones where you see the Midas name on the building anymore. The one in, on uh, McGrath Highway in Quincy yep. is now a Sherwin-Williams paint store. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's the, the, best, the best that building's looked in a long time. It really has, and people ship across the street. Uh, yeah. Are they building mufflers better than they used to? Is there a reason why they're not? Uh, yeah, they're uh, they're actually a combination of stainless steel and, and galvanized tin, so they don't rot out like they used to. And engines run a little bit hotter than they did, so it tends to. That's why you see so much condensation coming out of exhaust systems. One of one of the things that um, when you burn a gallon of gasoline, you actually produce almost a gallon of water vapor. So hmm. Uh, that water vapor has to go somewhere, and most of the time it just goes out into the air like it's supposed to. Uh, but when it when engines didn't run quite as hot, they would actually they would actually collect water into the muffler system, and if it just kind of that mufflers actually had weep holes in them to let the moisture drain out, and over time the weep hole would clog up, and the and it was the muffler would literally fill with water and rust away. Now that they're mostly all stainless steel, that doesn't happen. The problem is. Once you decide that your muffler finally did wear out, you replace it with a with a uh, normal muffler. You're back to like every three or four years putting mufflers on your car because nobody wants to spend you know fifteen hundred dollars for a replacement muffler that was as good as the original. So, is that the yeah. same for the catalytic converter? Uh, catalytic converters are kind of their own their own entity. There, uh, because of all the the shell itself is stainless steel, so they tend to last a really long time. The internal p- 
parts and pieces of a catalytic converter, the, the, rare, the rare metals that are inside of there, um, they can actually deteriorate over time and clog up and cause problems, or they can actually rot out over time. But again, that's why catalytic converters have such a long warranty, because part of it has to do with the emissions laws, but they had to make it in such a way that it was going to at least meet the requirements of the of the EPA laws. So that's another reason. And here's a little bit of uh, a little bit of trivia that nobody really cares about. Um, the uh, back when there were literally airships, so you know dirigibles and things, um, when they burnt their fuel, they actually collected the water vapor to keep the ballast the same. So as they were burning up gallons of fuel in the engine to keep the airship moving, they would actually collect the moisture and, and store it in tanks so it didn't change the weight of the, weight of the blimp. Uh, speaking of, of trivia, I was reading your uh, column in today's Globe, and uh, as I was passing through it, they said the last surviving uh, passenger on the Hindenburg died. Oh, the, 96. Mm. 96, speaking well... Yeah, you know, I don't think I ever need to tell anybody that information, but and 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 I'm I'm glad we got to combine the two together. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> All right. But, uh, so anyway, thank you very much. All right. Have a great day. All right. Take care, Paul. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Dennis, did you learn a lot from that conversation? Um, sort of, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um. The uh, uh, we had we had uh, we had uh, Keith uh, from Keith Barry from Consumer Reports on uh, a couple weeks ago to talk about a lot of different things, including his uh, well how he dressed as a deer. Uh, but in the same issue of Consumer Reports that honestly I read on the plane coming down here, there was a an article about uh, map of the month how likely you are to hit a deer. And in Massachusetts, you're one out of 469 uh, chances of hitting a deer. In Connecticut, it's about half of that. In Rhode Island, it's more than that. Apparently, once you get out into the wilderness of western Rhode Island, uh, the deer population climbs. It's, um, no, I'm sorry. It goes the other way. Uh, you, uh, you do a little bit better in Rhode Island, I guess, smaller state. Uh, you go up to Maine. Uh, you might you're very likely to hit a deer and the highest risk of hitting a deer anywhere is west virginia so stay out of there fall driving means more deer are active uh, more roads are uh, more people driving on darker roads due to the shorter hours um you mean shorter the, uh, daylight hours shorter daylight hours but it also says the consumer report auto test center uh, uh jen stock and stockburger uh, who's the director of the operation, uh, and I almost read it as the Auto Deer Test Center, which well, that would have been specialized. But uh, some of the things they also say, the same thing Keith talked about, when you're on a dark road, put your high beams on so you get more vision. Remember, deer always travel in packs. We, uh, we actually put out the same release uh, at AAA a couple weeks ago, too. Uh, always make sure you're paying attention. Again, that isn't the time that you want to violate the law by you know, using your phone and looking at things and doing all kinds of stuff. Um, if your car has automatic emergency braking and forward collision warning, uh, Consumer Reports says that may help uh, prevent uh, deer strikes. Our testing at AAA says it at night it probably doesn't. So uh, during the day maybe, and the deer like to uh, hang out early in the morning and late at night because it's a little bit cooler. 
So, so there you go. Our phone number six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Let's talk to. Uh, let's go up to Tingsboro. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Good morning, John. Hope you're well. I'm, well, I'm. I'm. You know, I, I haven't. I haven't been. I haven't been down to the little tin shack in Florida here for six months. So, I, I took advantage of uh, cheap air flights and uh, came down to see if the places to see if it blew away during the last storm. So, it's still there, then. Huh? It's still yeah. I'm, I'm just sitting at my kitchen table. So, yeah, I was just. Uh like your thoughts on the uh, upcoming Bronco. Uh, been reading, you know, they're going to have two and four door versions, hopefully. But does Ford really need another four door sport utility? Well, you know, there's there's a good question, and and what and what is it going to be exactly? You know, some of the some of the artist rendering, some of it has it really blocky. That you know, they you know something like the, uh, you know, it really looks like really looks like a couple of boxes sitting on top of each other. You know, somebody somebody said it. You know, maybe electric. Uh, I I don't. You know, I'm, I'm yeah, I don't know. I do. You know, Ford's Ford's in the truck business and not in the car business anymore. It seems like, considering all they have is, you know, all all they're going to be ending up with eventually is a Mustang and uh, not much else. So yeah, I, you know, it's yeah, a lot of sport. And you're right. Do they really need a Bronco? An Explorer, Escape, uh, an Echo, Edge. E- Echo, an Edge, yeah. uh, an Expedition L, the real long, long one, and then you know, fifteen versions of the F one fifty, which is yeah. you know, which when you get the big four door F one fifty, it's almost an SUV. So you're right. Do you really need all that many? And is you know, is something bound to go away? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I see a two door. Yeah, you know, the four door they could do away with, and you know what I've been seeing. You know, naturally it's speculation. You know, they'll probably have the four cylinder V six, and then they're talking mm, maybe a five liter. I don't know. I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of go a little bit of the Jeep route with a four cylinder, maybe even a turbo, but have a, a pretty substantial hybrid battery pack. So you get that instant torque off the line, and then you get the better fuel economy at higher speed. Uh, that's what Jeep did with the. Uh, uh, you can get a Wrangler with uh, the forty-eight volt hybrid system in it, and what happens? It gives you this instant torque. So if you are if, if you are one of those people that actually decides to take their off-road vehicle off-road, it having all that torque on hand is pretty good if you're trying to climb, you know, climb over rocks and ruts and logs yeah, and all that kind of stuff. Speed, so. Yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, it'll, you know, they kept they're keeping this a pretty close secret. And considering just a couple of years ago when they said we're going to build a Bronco, and they didn't even they didn't even have anything to look at. They did they they barely sh- they showed the name. You know, it was like right. Bronco, and we're going to build one. And I I'm still not sure they're a hundred percent sure what they're building yet. I'm you know I'm I've heard you know I've heard all kinds of stuff uh, again that. You know, the, you know, they also were showing a Mustang-inspired electric SUV that's supposed to be yeah, really I fast. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of, and and you know, they haven't really said what size it is either. They, you know, they've, uh, you know, I sort of assumed it was going to be not 
a big SUV and more maybe built off the Ranger platform, but now they're saying it's not built off the Ranger platform. And the other thing is the Ranger seems to be falling on its face. I, you know, how many Ford Rangers have you seen out in the road? Yeah, yeah, not that many. I mean, I have a not that many. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> but the the new Ford Ranger is almost an F one hundred and fifty. So the idea, you know, every every time I see an old Ford Ranger kicking around, uh, whether it's a Ranger Splash or just a plain Ranger, I mean, I always kind of like the Ranger Splash with the little extended um, cab, so you had you know sixteen yeah. inches or eighteen inches of room behind the back seat. Yeah, I always yeah. thought they were a pretty neat little vehicle. You could you know they, you could carry some stuff in them. They look kind of cool. Um, the new Ranger. I, I, it looks like an F-150 that, you know, you're looking at it from a thousand feet away, and it's just, I, I'm, you know, and it was a vehicle that they built in um, other parts of the world, and they just sort of reworked it to come here. So it'll be interesting to see what Ford brings up with the Bronco. The Bronco certainly has the name recognition, so. Yeah, I know a lot of people, like I say, I saw one item that said they may be a manual seven-speed transmission. Again, I don't hold my breath because. They seem to be one yeah, of yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going to see that because right now, less than ten percent of the cars on the road sold in the United States um, are, uh, are are manual transmission cars. So the idea that even find one is, and and those are usually the, you know, the really base model economy cars. Um, right. You know, even you know the the new Corvette's a good example. You know, right now the new Corvette isn't doesn't come with a stick and it may at some point and certainly these new uh dual clutch automatics shift better than people but there's something there's something to be said about having a clutch yeah, pedal that clutch pedal exactly yeah the yeah. new shelby 500 no uh, yeah. automatic i mean no uh, yeah. manual just yeah so yeah and you know some of it could be you know some of it could be tied to durability who knows but it's one of those things that you, you kind of look at and go uh, you know, uh, you know. Let's see. Let's see how all this is going to work out. And I think uh, you know. I I have yet to see the new Corvette. I've talked to some people who've seen it. They say it's pretty phenomenal, especially for the money. Um, the LA Auto Show is going on in a week or so. Uh, there is um, there's going to be the the and they didn't waste any time. There's uh, the the new Corvette convertible is going to be shown at the LA Auto Show when it when it opens up. So there's. You know, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I would I would like to. I guess you know, part of me says I'd like to see a retro Bronco, so sort of a Bronco that looked like an old Bronco in exactly, a big two door yeah. in a big two door version. You know, or and but have you know really modern driveline in it, so it makes it so it makes it you know practical. You know, not you know you got to remember yeah, those old Broncos. Right. The old Broncos on a good day got ten miles to the gallon. Yeah, and they had little three hundred twos or yeah, yeah, and the and, yeah. yeah, and the and the Bronco two, you know, as much as everybody looks back on, oh, that was such a that was such a great little, they were awful, you know, <laughs> they were, they were yeah. terrible. The the yeah. the three liter the three liter V six and the Bronco two, um, uh, had a big aluminum timing gear in it, and the and the teeth would fall off of it after a while, and you know they 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 were just they were not good they were not good vehicles. Pe- people do. You know, people do remember, you know, kind of remember them fondly because they were, you know, kind of interesting. But it's like saying, you know, that Mustang too was a really great car. Well, it mm-hmm. wasn't. It was a, it was a Pinto, and and even even exactly. even the one with the V eight in it wasn't really a great car. So, 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the original Mustang was a Falcon, but that wasn't as yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it, but at least you know the original. You're right. The original Mustang was a Falcon, but you know, it, at least it had some style to it. You know, even putting you know even putting Charlie's Angels inside the the Mustang too didn't help it. No, no. Yeah, yeah it wasn't my favorite uh, generation for sure. But, yeah. You know, yeah. Other people. Well, it's, it's still the Mustang family. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to abandon it, but anyway. Yeah. Well, all right. All right. Take care, Bob. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030 is our number. I think we have another call-up. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Good morning, Car Doctor. Mike here. How are you doing? Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good, thank you. I want to call you to congratulate you and, and the team that I saw last night. They're finally going to uh, sign the uh, hands-free bill this week, looks like. Yeah, it looks like it looks like I you know I don't know how all the infighting got smoothed over at the uh, at the state house, but I'm glad it did, and uh, you know, and it only makes sense. And 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 I got to tell you, we know kind of in our you know in our research that hands free isn't risk free because we know that once your mind gets into the conversation, you're still distracted even though you don't have a phone in your hand. But if you put the phone down, that solves half, that solves part of the problem. So, um, you know, too many people, and, and I said at the beginning of the program, too many people get into these, in some cases, minor crashes because they look down at their phone just to look down to see why traffic slowed down. I have a better idea. Keep your eyes up and look and see what caused it. Don't 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 rely on your don't rely on your phone to give you the answer to it. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's going to help a lot. So, I, I agree. And the other uh, question I want or comment I wanted to make was: looks like there's a really great movie. You got to see this Ford versus Ferrari. It's getting great reviews. I'm going to try to see if I can get to see it this weekend. That ought to be a great flick. So, yeah, I I. I yeah, I've when it first when they first talked about it, there was you know it looked like oh yeah, there's going to be another racing movie. But you're right, all the reviews have come out, and the the other thing that's that people have said that's worthwhile, um, go on YouTube and find Carol Shelby. I guess did like a thirty minute documentary about Ford versus Ferrari, and uh, they said that's a really good kind of. Uh, uh, primer before you see the movie because you get a little bit more of a feeling from what Carol Shelby thought about it all too. Great, well I'll do that. All and, right, and thank you very much. I want to work good for all the hard work that AAA did on getting the seat. Well, well I, I wish I had I wish I had more to do with it than just talking about it. But uh, yeah, Mary McGuire and Mark Shieldrop and our boss Lloyd Albert, we've been we've been fighting for this for a long time. You know, there's a few a few more things we'd like to see happen in Massachusetts, but we'll take we'll take one little victory wherever we can. Okay, have a good weekend. All right, you too, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. 617-770-3030-617-770-3030 is our number. And I think, Dennis, do we have one more call? Yeah, we have a John on the line. All right. Well, my computer's not showing it up here, so because yeah, I don't have one. I don't have one, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk to John. Good morning. Morning, John. How are you? I'm good. Yourself? Good. I have a question. I have a friend who... Um, has an old Saab, I think it's a 99 convertible. Okay. They need uh, repair work, I believe, on the mechanical aspects of the top. But I had heard you a couple of weeks ago mention um, some local shops that specialize in that type of work. 
Yeah, um, there, there's a place, and uh, unfortunately, I was stumbling all over it trying to figure out who it is. But there's, there's somebody up in Route Nine in Natick that uh, has been there forever and ever and ever, and it's a, uh, it's a convertible top shop. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I think if you just kind of search for convertible top repair and uh, Route 9 and Natick, you'd come up with it. They've been there for a long time. In fact, I was talking to a uh, service director at a Toyota dealership, and that's where they, when they get a used car and it's a convertible, that's they tend to send it up there. There's a place in Brockton Arts Auto Top. They've been there for a million years. Same kind of same kind of thing. Uh, the other thing is, do you know, is the top itself in good shape, or is it just the mechanicals that lift and close it or is the problem? Um, I've only heard about the mechanical part of it. I mean, okay. So there's no holes. There's no holes in it that you know of or anything. Mm, let's say there are. What would you say then? Well, it, then I would go try to find somebody who does convertible tops repair. Like, like. But if it's just that the system isn't opening and closing properly, um, oh. and and that those were those were relatively straightforward uh, mechanical top system and you. Know, is there's a leak in one of the hydraulic lines that runs the runs the little pump mechanism. That's just nuts and bolts. So anybody that does any kind of um, restoration of older cars, and not somebody that you know specializes in it, but somebody who doesn't turn that kind of work away, should be able to repair that pretty easily. Um, the problem is it's a Saab, so parts are not that available. So it's a little bit of it's going to be somebody who has a little bit of patience and can say, oh, yeah, I can make up a hydraulic line here or a flexible line here. Um, and it's been my experience with old convertible tops that usually the pump works. It's uh, usually What usually happens is the, the system has a leak in it somewhere. So sometimes it can be a cylinder, but some most of the times it's just a hose that gets brittle with age, and that's where the problem is. Um and and so I would I would try to find somebody who just who you know a shop that you see a, an occasional old car at and go in there and just say hey you know I have this Saab with a with a convertible top that doesn't work can you take a look at it and see what you think uh, and just because it's a Saab doesn't make it any more difficult than trying to replace a, uh, a you know or trying to repair a convertible top in a. a you know, modern Buick, for instance, other than the modern Buick has all kinds of microsensors in it and things. But the the Saab top, again, it's a pretty pretty simple as things go. So, uh, you know, a top shop certainly could do the fabric part of it. Um, the mechanical part of it, yeah, they, they do that because they have to. But I think any good mechanical repair shop could probably take a look at the convertible top. I remember even years ago... Uh, when I worked in a garage, somebody came in with a, I think it was a, a you know, a 70s-ish Mustang, and the top didn't work anymore. You know, the first thing we found was uh, the reservoir was low in fluid. The second thing we found was a line that was bad, and we replaced the line, put it all, bled all the air out of it, and the system worked fine afterwards. So, again, it's kind of mechanical. So it's not, it's not the most difficult thing in the world to try to get it to work properly. And if you were okay. selling... I'm sorry, go ahead. Hello? He should be there. I yeah. didn't hang up on him. 
Yeah. Well, okay. Maybe hung up. Okay, we have a couple Sound of callers, like... but we also need to take a break. Why don't we take that break? Uh, if you're on hold, stay right there. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. If you're on hold, stay right there. We will be with you in just a minute. Uh, and when we come back, we'll also talk about uh, a little bit about how important it is to do something simple like rotate your tires on your car. We'll talk about that and also a little bit about who owns the data in your car. We'll be right back. Speaking of the Ford Mustang and Sally and her Mustang Sally, uh, there was an article in Automotive News that says, Whose data is it? Battle moves to two state houses. Disputes in two state governments highlight the growing concern over the auto industry over the data that Internet connected cars produce and process. In Massachusetts, the debate focuses on proposed amendment to the state's right to repair laws and the difference over data access between automakers and aftermarket providers. In California, a broad new privacy law does not explicitly center on automotive versus aftermarket argument. Uh, lawyers for both sides agree, but the law includes mandates for automakers about how they collect and handle vehicle data. California, even even uh, though the California law passed in 2018, the state is still developing rules for enforcing it, uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, the California uh, legislator approved amendments in the law that affected automakers and dealers. Uh, so a lot of this whole data access, you know, who owns the data and who's going to do something with it um, is really, uh, is really the, the auto manufacturers now are saying it's a privacy issue, which so, it took them a little while to come up with that. What kind of data are they taking? Well, anything that you can actually read with a scan tool, so anything about your car Anything that can be read can be transmitted. So if your car has two-way communications, if your car is basically a Wi-Fi hotspot and it can transmit stuff back to the manufacturer, that anything in that car. So if you sat in your car and the seatbelt weight sensor could actually know that you lost weight or put on weight, really? uh, it would know where your car went on a regular basis. It would know what radio stations you like to listen to if you always are on one particular satellite radio station, for instance, because that's all connected together. But um, the Alliance for Automobile Manufacturers warns that the new consumer privacy law could require automakers to divulge trade secrets. Well, I don't think there's where in Massachusetts to saying it more has to do with consumer privacy. That's what the auto manufacturers are saying. So um, in Massachusetts, the opponents are uh, automakers versus the aftermarket uh, providers a proposed digital update of the right to repair law at stake. It says here reflects long-standing battle over data access in California. It's auto industry versus privacy advocates and uh, limits the use of the vehicle uh, data. So I think it depends on what you're used to. Uh, a lot of people look at uh, vehicle data and say, I don't care. Who cares? Who cares what my car is telling the manufacturer? And other people are very, very cautious so you know when you go on a new website and it says uh, uh do you allow us to use cookies and you say yes or no well you know the majority of people just go yes and don't care so 
It's it's an interesting it's an interesting topic, and we'll have to we'll have to try to hear a little bit more about it as it comes up. But I think right now we're going to hear from our buddy Rick from Boston. Rick, good morning. Good morning. There. Well, I got uh, a comment and a question for you. All right. Okay. Last week I was, I just actually just got back yesterday from Florida, and the comment is that I found it interesting that you'd be driving down a road and the outside lane was very noisy, but when you moved to the inside lane, it became much quieter driving, and that for just the road noise. Yeah, it's what happens is when you get over to the side lanes. Uh, if you look, if you looked at, if you stopped and looked at the highway, you'd notice these grooves cut in the highway, and it has to do with uh, getting the water off the roadway. No, there wasn't grooves cut in the road, and that I, I, I checked that. It was just the just the surface of the road. I don't know whether it was uh, warm more or what, or the heat, whatever. But the, yeah, well, I mean, it could it could be the the ones I've seen actually have. Uh, grooves because they want to because florida rains doesn't rain and then all of a sudden it rains and there's you know two inches of water and floods the roads and makes them all slippery so they want to try to get the water off the road but that's interesting i haven't i haven't really noticed that because i don't tend to be in the left lane that much but well the thing is that uh um you know where i was it was uh it was a touristy area and a lot of people were pulling it off and slowing down to pull into this restaurant or this plaza or whatever oh and yeah and so, and then, but here's my question. I had a Pacifica. Yep. And it had, you know, it had the automatic, you know, shut off when you pull up yep. to a light. Mm-hmm. And we, if it was a long light, um, well, if regularly, if it's just regular light, you put, you, you take your foot off the brake, you, you accelerate, there was no shaking or anything, just a normal acceleration. But if you had, it was a long light, the engine would shut, shut off. Yep. And be shut off for a while, then it would start up again, even though I haven't taken my foot off the brake or moved at all, and the whole car would shake. Yep. And, um, you know, my guess is that's going to be, be doing damage to the engine and the uh, vehicle on that, though. Is that true or not? Um, I I kind of agree with you. The, the thoughts are that it shouldn't do that. I mean, that's what the manufacturers say. I don't personally... When I have my commute back and forth to work is about mm, 10 miles of city driving and 37 miles of highway driving. And the highway driving, I can be, it's not like driving in and out of Boston, but the last three or four miles can be stop and go traffic. I have driven the exact same car the exact same way and saw no difference in gas mileage if I decide to defeat the system and you know there's a little button with an a with a circle around it you can shut it off and then drive it with and let it shut off and turn on and shut off and turn on and look looking at the digital readout for the gas mileage doesn't seem to change so i'm not sure how cost you know cost effective these systems are but the ones that actually use a battery and a starter to get the car going I got it. I, you know, as high tech as these batteries are that are in these cars, they're they're glass mat batteries, um, so they're not conventional lead acid batteries. I still say it's going to shorten the life of the battery, uh, and we're doing some testing at AAA now to see if that is actually the case. But so far, I 
I haven't seen any improvement in fuel economy. I, I think the fuel economy is kind of what it is, and I don't I don't know that there's going to be a huge a huge difference in in the fuel economy. And I I say there is going to be more wear and tear on the car. And on top of that, like you said, the car sort of shudders and shakes a little bit. It's not it's not smooth feeling. There are some cars that are. Uh, some cars actually feel a lot better than others. Uh, but it depends on how the car starts. Some actually use the regular starter. Some actually use a thing that looks like a, you look under the hood and it looks like a great big alternator, but it actually can, it's a belt drive that can actually turn the engine. And other cars for a while, and although I don't think this is popular anymore, uh, would actually fire a spark plug when it was up on top dead center, and it would actually kick the engine over by, by uh, making spark and uh, making the engine start. So uh, it depends on the system and how it works. I, I don't know this is the case, and I'm only making this up, but remember, did you ever have, did you ever drive a standard transmission car that had a shift light in it that would tell you that you could shift when it was time to shift? Have you ever driven a no. car like that? No. Well, I've already driven, you know, by, by, uh, by yeah. sound and, you know, yeah. That. yeah, so so doesn't everybody else. But some standard transmission cars, and it could have been, you know, the, the most basic standard transmission, you know, Ford Escort to something fancy, would have an upshift light. So it would tell you as a driver it was time to shift up. That light was put in there strictly for gas mileage purposes, and when a manufacturer put the upshift light in, they automatically got a half a mile per gallon credit. So... You know, whatever the gas mileage was supposed to be in the car, they got a half a mile per gallon credit by saying that, you know, oh, we have an upshift light. Whether people paid attention to it or not, they got a credit for having it there. I wouldn't be surprised if these auto shutoff systems, they get some kind of EPA credit because how can you count on it? Say you drive highway all the time or you drive with your heat and your air conditioner on all the time. Most of those systems will shut down, in other words, won't work, if the air conditioner is on because unless it's an electric air conditioner pump, it's not going to work right. So, um, so it's got to be there. It's got to be there for extended periods of time. That's why when you were, when you were stuck in traffic, it would start up and maybe stop and start up and stop again because the AC wanted to cycle. Or if you go to turn the steering wheel and it's a, and it's not an electric steering, uh, electric power steering pump, it would kick right on. So you got power steering again. So, um, and the same thing in the winter time, if you hit the, uh, if you hit the seat heaters, it puts a load on the uh, electrical system, and it says, oh, wait, we better start the engine so the battery doesn't go dead. Or or the engine, if you're stuck in traffic and the engine cools off, it, it starts the engine back up to give you more heat inside the car. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of shenanigans going on with, uh, with uh, the numbers because of it. Uh, i got to tell you, as much as I tend to be pay attention to a lot of things and try to do the right thing. Uh, the cars with the auto shutoff, I, I am happy that the two cars in my life don't have it because I would be, I yeah, would be shutting I, it off. I wasn't thrilled by yeah. it and that, and you know, that, and it, it just, well, it would, it bothered me in that. So, yeah. Yeah. And I yeah. think that uh, the way that the car shook and having to, you know, start up, start up and stop in that, I think yep. you know standards, you know world uh, we're, yep. we're, uh, yeah. quicker. Yeah, it's like different. That, so. It's different than a true hybrid, where a hybrid has an electric motor that makes the car go. So if you're driving a Toyota yeah. Prius or or any other kind of hybrid, you don't notice it because it's the electric motor that gets you moving before the gas engine starts. When the when you have to start the gas engine every time, 
And, you know, years ago, they used to, you know, cars had carburetors, you know, 40 years ago. They used to say every time you started your car, you had to drive seven miles to make up for the extra fuel that it took to, to get the car going. Today's fuel-injected cars, especially direct injection, use almost no gas to get going. So the idea that the idea that you're going to, the fuel economy offset, yeah, when you're, when you're sitting there and the engine's off, you're getting zero miles per gallon, and that's a good thing because you're not wasting fuel. You know, even the most fuel-efficient car, when, it, when it's idling, is still using gas. When you're just, when you're just sitting there and you stop, you're going to get the maximum amount of fuel economy. So it, in theory, it makes some sense. In practicality, for most of us, I don't, I don't think we're seeing any big fuel savings, but, but that's just me. Carbon okay. That's right. That's right. And then sometimes you'd spray a little ether in there, and somebody'd be cranking the engine over, and you'd spray a little ether, and you'd you'd find that coil wire that was that was firing off to the side, and you'd get a blue flame of ether burn up under the hood, and that that was always exciting too. Oh yeah, that's that's fun. So, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay, Rick. Take care. Bye bye. 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's take one more call. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor program. Hi, John. How are you? Hey. Good. How are you? Hey, you have a, uh, good, thanks. I have a question. My son uh, gave me his car yesterday. Uh, he was complaining about his car. It's a 211 Chevy Malibu. And the car steering wheel locked up on him a couple of times when he was on the highway. Oh. So... Yeah, so I'm wondering any ideas. Um, well, GM did have a problem with the electric power steering systems on that. So the first thing the first thing I do is I would call I would call a Chevy dealer and say, are there any updates or recalls or anything to do with the uh, electric power steering on the car? That would be my uh-huh. first. That would be my first thing that I would do because I know that GM did have an occasional problem with that. So, you know, maybe start, maybe start there. So, and then after that, I would, uh, I would, uh, you know, look at it, it, when the electric power steering acts up on those cars, um, sometimes you'll get a message on the dash. They'll say steering, steering problem or something like that. If you're not getting that, the only other thing is, does this car have a system where if you drift out of the lane, it, it, warns you about it no it doesn't it doesn't okay because it's funny i've talked to two people in the last couple months that have just recently got cars and they're like the steering locked up when i'm out on the highway well it didn't actually lock up they were trying to they were trying to change lanes without using their turn signals and the steering gets really stiff until you overcome it if you use your turn signal it works fine because it's the lane departure correction system so it doesn't have that um I, you know, I would, I would be, uh, I would, you know, talk to talk to a Chevy dealer and find out if there's updates and recalls and things. I don't have my computer with me, so I can't look it up. But I would look at that and see if there's something to do with with that system and see what you can do to, you know, see if there's something there. If not, the next step is, uh, you know, scan for codes and see if there's any kind of codes for the power steering system. The body control modules will will save. We'll save some codes if there's something there to find out find out why it's sticking and locking up. Um, you know, certainly GM uh, over the years had a ton of problems with the ignition switches in these cars, and the ignition switch 
would cause the engine to stall or almost stall, and then you'd have no power steering, and it's not like a mechanical power steering system that when the, when the uh, power steering went bad, you could kind of muscle your way through it. The, the electromechanical ones, they really, they're, it takes a lot of, takes a lot of uh, uh, body strength to actually, you know, you can still can steer them, but they're a little, they're a little hard to steer. So I would, uh, you know, my, my first thought, again, go to the dealer, see if there's any kind of open recalls or updates on the steering system or the ignition system, and then kind of go from there. All right. Very good. Thanks okay. for the information. All right. You have a good day. You as well. Take care. Bye-bye now. On Facebook, at least, I promised that I had uh, two cars I wanted to talk about, the uh, couple that uh, I've been driving over the past few weeks, and I, um, because of calls and other things, I never really got to them. So the last one was the Toyota 4Runner. The 4Runner is a midsize SUV. Um, it's a great off-road performer when properly optioned and can seat seven in a uh, small third-row seat. All four runners are powered by the same 4-liter, 270-horsepower engine. There's a 5-speed automatic transmission that, depending on models, powers the rear wheels or all four wheels through a part-time four-wheel drive system or full-time four-wheel drive system. The 4Runner is available in a whole bunch of trim levels. I think there's seven in all. The SR5, SR5 Premium, TRD Off-Road, TRD Off-Road Premium, Pro Limited, Nightshade Special Edition. Our road test was in the Limited with the full-time four-wheel drive. The 4Runner's a little rough around the edges on the road. The ride's a bit stiff over potholes and pavement breaks. There's also some body roll and fast terms, uh, turns. This may be uh, in part due to the true body-on-frame construction that's a rarity in SUVs. The steering has a bit of uh, on-center vagueness, off-road. Any of the negatives quickly disappear. Our limited edition 4Runner came with a full-time four-wheel drive with active traction control and limited slip differential. Although this is not the most capable 4Runner version, it was uh, easily able to handle any off-road travel that I dared. The limited version is also capable of towing up to 5,000 pounds, so you can tow a pretty good-sized boat or camper with this thing. Performance uh, from the 270-horsepower engine was strong from a stop and generally seemed pretty good. Uh, but seemed a little bit constrained by the five-speed transmission. There are times where I needed to accelerate that seemed like I really had to push the throttle to the floor to get all of the 270 horsepower, and I think if the transmission was a little bit more sophisticated, that wouldn't happen, but I'm not re-engineering this car because it's a pretty good car. Fuel economy during my time with the 4Runner was as bad as any SUV in recent history. Uh, 16 miles per gallon of my typical mix of about 70% highway miles. The interior of the 4Runner could never be described as flashy, even on the limited trim package. The interior was a bit plain. That being said, the functionality was very good. There were large knobs for the climate control, Robert, uh, radio volume, and tuning. The infotainment system was quick and simple to use without complicated menus. Why manufacturers try to make stuff more complicated? Make it less complicated. Put knobs and buttons back in. Don't put 40 buttons in, but put some basic stuff so it's easy to use. There were plenty of 12-volt and USB outlets, cup holders, bins. Even uh, after several hours behind the wheel, the seats were comfortable. The rear seating was also spacious. The third-row seat uh, is better suited for kids. Cargo area with the second and third-row folded is almost 90 cubic feet, so it's huge. And about half that with the second-row seat in use. With all three seats in use, it's still pretty good to go to the grocery store, about 10 cubic feet. The uh, 4Runner by Toyota is an SUV that's better suited for the driver who actually drives off-road. Uh, 
if your idea of traveling off-road is a trip to the local recycling center, there are better choices. If you need to tow a trailer, go camping, fishing, the Forerunner, in spite of its shortcomings, is a good, solid choice of a vehicle. I mentioned that uh, Consumer Reports uh, did an article about rotating the tires. But why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, we'll talk about that, and then we'll probably finish up with the Subaru Accent. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. You're listening to AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, 100.3 FM, or tap that app and tell uh, Alexa, Alexa, WROL Radio. And you'll, you'll hear you'll hear me, and soon to come up, nine hours of Irish music. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Program. I think we have maybe time for one more phone call. Let's see if we can squeeze one more in. Good morning. You're on the Car Doctor Program. Yes. Hi, John Paul. How are you? This is Jerry from Austin, and I have a uh, 1950, uh, excuse me, 1995 Ford 250 pickup. Okay. And I only put on maybe 500 miles a year on it. Don't drive it much at all. It sits for a while. And I had it out last night, and uh, I took it out about 30 miles, drove fine. Uh, just coming back, uh, the engine just stopped. And battery fine, everything is fine. I just, uh, the, the engine will rotate, but it wouldn't catch. What, what do you hmm. If, uh, you know, my concern is that with the, you know, it's, you said it's a 95, right? So it's. It's 20-some-odd years old now, 24 years old. Yeah. And you don't drive it a whole heck of a lot, so I'm wondering if the fuel pump has started to give out on it. Okay. Um, and what, you know, it, it started up, it worked okay, it quit working. Um, you know, and, and the simple, the simple, the rules haven't changed for the longest time to, you know, see, to make an engine run, it needs fuel spark and compression, so the first thing you do is you pull a plug wire off and and you know stick a you know screwdriver in there or a, or a spark tester and hold it up against something metal and see if you got a nice you know strong spark jumping between that and the ground and that yeah. way you know you have ignition. Uh, spray a little bit of starter spray in the air intake and see if the engine fires up and if it does you know it's a fuel problem. If it doesn't, then you you need to look a little bit further and find out and find out why. It isn't running, and that, I guess, could be some kind of compression problem of some sort, some kind of engine timing problem. But uh-huh. at, the very, at the very minimum, I would do the very basics and find out, do you, have, do you have fuel? Do you have spark? You know, is there corrosion on the ignition system somewhere that made it spark? But yeah. uh, just judging by, judging by nothing more than how you drive the truck and the age of the truck, I'm willing to bet it probably needs a fuel pump. Okay. That was my suspicion, too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it could be a fuel filter clogged up, 
you know, but sort of the same idea. But but being being the age of it is, the right thing to do at this point would be to put a fuel pressure tester on there and see what kind of fuel pressure you have and also look at fuel volume to make sure that it's sometimes you can have pressure but you have no volume coming to the coming to the fuel system. So that can be it. But but I you know, I would I would go I would go to an auto parts store and spend, you know, three ninety nine on a can of starter spray and spray it in the air intake and see if it fires up. And if it does, you know you know it's a fuel related problem and again probably a fuel pump. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, yeah. so I mean, right. the, the other thing is the other thing is that that does use a series of fuel pump relays. Uh, it does use a fuel pump relay. It's the same relay as the horn. So you could, if you looked at the at the fuse box, uh, you could swap out the fuel pump relay for the horn relay, for instance, and see if it fires the fuel pump back up. Depending on where the fuel pump's located, you might be able to smack it with like a a, a rubber mallet or something and see if you can get it to. See if we can get it to start, but you know any kind of fuel, electric fuel pump. When you turn the key on, you should hear it run for about two seconds to charge up the fuel system. And if you don't hear at the, uh, you know, you could even put your ear next to the the gas cap, and you should be able to hear some sound of a fuel pump starting to fire. You know, start to uh, spool up and produce pressure. And if you're not hearing that noise, again, probably a a bad pump or bad electrical issue to the pump so okay wow okay it's uh yes uh, it was just running perfectly before quick uh, yeah well you know that's that's how life is it always works good until it doesn't and then when it doesn't you got to figure out what it is so yeah i mean it's kind of, it's kind of funny especially if it's an electrical issue it is going to run it's going to run perfect until the pump just decides it doesn't turn anymore when it doesn't turn you know there you go yeah yeah, I mean we we it, one of the one of the road service tricks we do a lot with um, with uh, uh, when we have cars that don't start, we literally crawl under the car and uh, and smack the bottom of the gas tank if the fuel pump's located in the gas tank. Smack it with a rubber mallet, and yeah. well, someone's cranking the engine over, and sometimes that's enough to get the fuel pump to start to turn. Then the car starts up and runs fine. But we always tell our members be careful because the next time you shut her off, it might not restart. Hey, we got to get going. We're just about out of time. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Bye-bye now. In the studio, our buddy, Paul Sullivan. Sully, I understand you're in the studio today. Great to, great to see you. I got my mallet, and I'm looking to whack something, so watch yeah, it. Yeah, good, good for you. I, good need, for you. I need things to work. <laughs> well, I understand. I understand. One of the computers, you may actually have to whack it with a mallet to get Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how are exactly. you? I'm all right. I'm How all warm right. is it I'm, down there? Uh, well, it is. Uh, it's cooling off. Actually, it was. It's. Uh, it was up to. It was up to eighty when the sun came out, but it clouded all over down here. It's down to seventy-one. Well, so. I'm telling you, I'll do some inside radio things. Uh, Claire and I were listening up on the way in. And we had a debate as whether you were actually in the studio or not. That's how uh, how good you were sounding. So, yeah. well, if you saw if you saw what I had here, this this <laughs> this is uh, I, I get I get everything I get uh, as simple or weird system as it can be. I'll show you a picture of it. Twenty first so. century radio, baby. Yeah, this is this is it. This yep. is it. Hey, so what's up for the Irish Hit Parade today? Well, the, the guy in the music, the piano player, is playing. So I'll do this real quick. The best in Irish music, like we do every week. There you go. There you go. Paul Sullivan, the best in Irish music. The very start of 
Irish music all day today and and then starting again tomorrow with uh, John the Rooster Costello. So until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. are the songs you love so well. I know that because it's been my privilege to have played them for you since 1982. Hello everyone, I'm Paul Sullivan and I welcome you to another hour of the Irish Hit Parade right here on the Irish Spirit of Boston, AM 950 WROL Boston, a service of Salem Communications.